Godliness with contentment is great wealth. Contentment is simply being satisfied with what we have. It is so important for a minister of God and also for all of us as believers to learn to live with contentment. Uh, just before we stand up and make a declaration, I just want to remind us of one verse of scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there is power. A king is a man or a person with authority. And the way the king would exercise his authority is by releasing a word, by saying something. Authority is released primarily through words. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Now we understand in that, that in the natural realm. But it's also true in the realm of the spirit, in the spiritual realm. That authority in the spiritual realm is also exercised or expressed through the words we speak. Spiritually, in Christ, you and I have been given authority. We are placed in a position of authority, spiritual authority. We have been vested with spiritual authority in the realm of the spirit. You're, you are a king. The Bible says we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus. So we are in a position or a place of spiritual authority. But what does that also mean? It also means we need to exercise that authority by the release of our words. Where our words are, there is authority. So it's so important for us to know that we exercise our authority by the words of our mouth. So we speak words of authority. You speak words, you decree things in your life, in your present and in your future. You speak the things that you want established in your present and in your future. Because God, because God has vested you and me with authority. So this morning, as we stand up and make our declaration, we are actually issuing decrees. You're saying with your mouth, as a man or a woman with spiritual authority, you're saying what God has declared about you and saying, this is what is going to be established in my life. Where my word is, there is authority, there's power being released, and those things will be established. Amen? Let's stand to our feet this morning as we make our declaration. I want you to hold your Bible high up in the air. If you brought it with you, just say this out loud, bold, and strong with me. Say it like you mean it. Say it like you believe it. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved. Healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by His word. Christ is my master. And to Him... I am in absolute surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn around to the person next to you, front of you, behind you. Say hello. Shake hands, please. Give them your name. And you may be seated. Over the last several Sundays, we've been studying Paul's first epistle to Timothy. 
And today we are in the last chapter, which is 1 Timothy chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me there to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to spend a few moments uh, in this chapter. Let's, go to, let's read chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll read this whole chapter and then uh, just quickly draw some lessons from this chapter. Beginning to read from verse 1. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust, avoiding the profane and idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. So Paul, in this chapter, we see his concluding statements to Timothy. And uh, the purpose of this epistle, 1 Timothy 2, uh, is to give guidance to Timothy on how to pastor, how to be a bishop, an overseer. 
of the local church in Ephesus. And so he's bringing his thoughts there, his instructions to a conclusion. Second Timothy, which we will start next Sunday, is interesting because it is more personal. It addresses more what a man of God needs to be a spiritual leader. And so that's, uh, uh, that's just a slightly different uh, focus in 2 Timothy. And 1 Timothy is addressing issues concerning the local church as a whole. We will divide this chapter into six sections just to quickly study that chapter. So verses 1 and 2 uh, deal with workplace relationships. Verses 3 to 5, Paul talks about words of truth. Verses 6 to 10, I've broken it down. I just call that a, a section that deals with godliness, with contentment. Verses 11 through 16, addressing the life of a man of God in, in the context of what he's just brought up. Uh, verses 17 through 19, the responsibilities of the rich. And verses 20 and 21, the final words that Paul gives Timothy as he concludes his first epistle, encouraging him to guard what has been entrusted. So let's look at these verses together. And I'm just going to give, you know, an overview. I'd encourage you to study, you know, each and every verse because there is a lot that we can draw from this chapter. Verses 1 and 2, Paul is addressing how believers have to conduct themselves in the workplace. And he tells us, he, of course, we're using the old English bond sermons referring to employees. He says, you know, employees, I want you to Honor your masters, meaning your employers or your bosses, so that the name of God and his doctrine must not be blamed. You know, this is so important for us, especially given that many of us, most of us, engage in the workplace Monday through Friday or some Monday through Saturday. You're involved in the workplace. And uh, Paul is saying, Timothy, you need to tell people, you need to tell God's people that in the workplace, how they conduct, conduct themselves, their conduct in the workplace, how they go about their life in the workplace is so important so that outsiders, people outside the church should not get an occasion to blame the church or the teaching by their behavior. They need, first of all, in verse 1, they need to honor their bosses, their superiors in the workplace, give them respect. In chapter 5, he saw how he talked about honoring people in the family, honoring people in the church. Now he goes beyond that and he says, you also walk with honor in the world outside, in your workplace. So you see, in the workplace, when you respect your boss or your superior, you're doing something that God wants you and me to do. Amen? All right. Not many amens this morning. <laughs> All right. God wants us to do that, to give respect to our bosses. Now, if you and I have respect, it obviously implies I will not badmouth him, criticize him, tear him down, do things to, you know, uh, just disrupt his plans or things contrary or against the boss. It says you honor the boss. You do things out of honor, out of respect to your boss in the workplace. And that is so important because, you know, for many people, your life is probably the only Bible that they are going to read or your life is going to be their first touch point with the Christian faith. And if your life or my life in the workplace is such that it turns them away, then that's it. We've become a hindrance, a stumbling block for them to come to the faith. And no matter how many others pray for them, how many others share the gospel with them, they will always remember, I saw that man. 
He said he is a Christian. He said he goes to all people's church. But he was a terrible person in the workplace. I mean, I couldn't put up with him Monday through Friday. And, you know, it's going to be a problem. That's one thing. It's going to be a hindrance to them from coming to faith in Christ. And because they are going to point to the church and to our teaching, accusing us that because of us, such and such a behavior is taking place uh, in their office or in their workplace environment. It is so important for you and me to learn how to conduct ourselves properly in the workplace. And in verse 2, he goes a step further and he says, you know, if employees have a believing boss, all the more give him honor. But, you know, the normal tendency is, oh, my boss also goes to the same church. So we take advantage of that. Extra leave. Boss, I have to go to prayer meeting today. <laughs> He needs a proposal done by the end of the day, prayer meeting boss. And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, we actually take advantage, misuse the fact that my boss is a believer. And uh, I do things which are actually detrimental to the business, to the organization. And Paul is saying, don't do that. If your boss is a believer, you give him double honor. You work with him that much more. Seeing that you are working for somebody, uh, who you're benefiting somebody who's a believer and beloved. Give him that much more. Give him the extra effort. You've got to go the extra mile because you're actually working for somebody who is also a believer. Are you with me? Yes. And he says at the end of verse 2, teach and exhort these things. Meaning, Timothy, you've got to address workplace issues in the local church. I mean, you've got to talk about the marketplace as you teach and preach from the pulpit and from what happens in the local church. It is important. Teach and uh, exhort these things. Talk about these things to God's people. How you conduct yourself in the marketplace. And uh, over the years, we've, we've tried our best. And uh, we right now are just you know, trying to develop something, things further. And how we can really focus on that. And, and the marketplace is so important. That's where God's people uh, spend majority of their life. In the marketplace, you know, for maybe for 40 years, uh, they're engaged in the marketplace. And it's so important. And, and people in the marketplace, believers in the marketplace are actually on the front line of uh, advancing the kingdom of God. They're the ones who interface with the world day in and day out. They're the front line warriors uh, of God's kingdom, so to speak. And so addressing these things is so important. And Paul says, Timothy, you've got to talk about these things in church. And then he says in verse Verses 3, um, 3 to 5, he says, if you don't teach these things, if you don't talk about such things, about how, you know, chapter 5, how you live in a family, how you live in the local church, how you live in the marketplace, if you don't do these things, if you're teaching otherwise, then you're not giving yourself to wholesome words, literally meaning words of truth, truthful words, which are aligned to the words of Jesus himself and to Godly doctrine, doctrine or teaching that furthers and develops godliness. So it's so important. He says, you know, you make sure you teach wholesome words. You teach these kinds of things in the local church. I, I remember, and this sounds a little funny, but I remember uh, some years ago we were talking about, you know, we were doing a series on the seven mountains assignment. And uh, we had some visitors coming to church and they asked, you know, they were asked, you know, what do you think about this church? They said, this is such a worldly church. Because they are talking about the marketplace. <laughs> they 
they're talking about, you know, such kinds of things. And they, they misunderstood what we were talking about. We are here to equip believers for the marketplace. And sometimes they misunderstand. But you know the Bible says that's what you've got to talk about in the church. You've got to tell people how to conduct yourself in the marketplace. And then how, what you've got to do. How do you engage with the world? How do you engage with things? And Paul says, you know, these, if you, you teach these kinds of things, because those are words of truth. They're aligned to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are, the, they are words that build godliness. But if you don't do that, verses 4 and 5, what you end up doing is you end up getting into arguments of all unnecessary things which only end up with envy and strife and uh, evil suspicions. And, and it's only the product of uh, corrupt minds uh, that they, they're devoid of the truth and you go into all kinds of wrong things. Uh, so stay with what, what I've taught you, what I'm teaching you uh, is what Paul is telling Timothy. And then in the end of verse 5, he says, you know, people deviate so much that they suppose that godliness is a means of gain. They want to use the whole faith thing as a means to make personal profit. Unfortunately, that is real. Uh, that's happening around the world, has been happening, continues to happen. And Paul's admonition in verse 5 is he says, when you see such things from such, withdraw yourself. When you see people who are using matters of faith and, and, and the church and the, and the ministry as a way to make money for personal gain, Paul's instruction is, from such, withdraw your, now let's pack up and leave and say, God, I don't, have, I don't want to do anything with such things. It's Paul's clear instruction. So we do not, while we, uh, while we understand that you can be godly and have money, there's nothing wrong with that. You can be godly and make money. There's nothing wrong with that. What Paul is saying is don't use godliness. Don't use our faith. Don't use the church. Don't use the ministry. Don't use the work of God's kingdom as a means for personal gain. Don't do that. You are with me so far? And then he goes into something very important, verses 6 through 9, where he says in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. This is such an important verse. Just a simple statement, but it is so important. Let's all say it together. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So living godly and living with contentment. Contentment means to be happy, to be satisfied with what you have. Godliness with contentment. He says is great wealth. Is great wealth. The ability... To be satisfied with the things you have. Now that does not mean you should not strive to be better. That does not mean you shouldn't work hard so you can be promoted on the job. Or that if you're running a business, you want to see your business making uh, profit and all of that. That doesn't mean that. He's talking about your heart issue. He's not talking about how you run your business. Of course you've got to run your business profitably. Of course you've got to, do, uh, in your career, you've got to work hard and, and, and you know, serve your organization well and, 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 and grow professionally and all of those things. Those things are important. But he's talking about the heart. He's saying godliness. You live godly and walk with contentment. And that is great wealth. Think about it. Think about the flip side, the negative side. When a person is greedy, wanting more, 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 never satisfied, with what he has, always wanting more because sometimes we compare ourselves with that other person. Oh, he's driving a bigger car than me. So I need to work so I can get a bigger car. Or 
you know, a bigger house, or we keep competing in all the wrong areas, what happens? There is never a time when you're really going to be happy. You're always dissatisfied. Even if you have a lot. Even if you have more than what you need. When you don't have contentment, there is always unhappiness. Because somebody else has more than you. Somebody else is doing better than you. And you want to keep up with that. So no matter how much wealth, no matter how much, we want to acquire more, acquire more, acquire more. We're never happy. But Paul is saying, look, godliness with contentment is great. Wow, this is true wealth. And then he continues there in verse 7 as he says, For we brought nothing into this world, it's certain we can carry nothing out. In other words, look, all that we have only serves the length of our lifetime. It's not that we're going to accumulate this to carry beyond us. So make use of it rightly. And he says, verse 8, with food and clothing, with these, we shall be content. You know, this is a great example in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. As Paul writes about his own life, this is what he says. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer needs. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul is saying, listen, I've learned to live life in such a way that I'm fine in any situation. I'm fine when I, there is a plenty, there is abundance, and I'm fine when things are rough. He says, I've learned that in whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be content. That means what happens inside me is not dictated by what's happening around me. Inside me, I'm satisfied, I'm happy, I'm full of joy, full of peace. And it's not dictated by the situation around me. In whatever state I am, I've learned to be content. And it is in that context, he says, I can do all things through Christ, who strengthens. Now, you know, many of us like to quote verse 13, I can do all things. And you say, would you like to go on a missions trip? Oh, no. Uh, where am I supposed to sleep? Uh, we will give you a mattress. <laughs> It'll be on the floor. Oh, no, I can't. But we say, I can do all things <laughs> through Christ who strengthens me. That verse has a context. And the context is, I can handle any situation, any circumstance. That's the context. Are you with me? I can do all things. It means I can go to any part of the nation. I can serve God. I don't need to stay in a five-star hotel. I don't need, I can, any, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned that whatever state I am, there is to be content. Paul's call. He says, Timothy, I wanted to teach such things to God's people. And he says, verse 9, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Timothy, those, those who desire to be rich fall into temptations and a snare. And many a foolish and harmful lust which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. From which, for which some having strayed in the faith, strayed from the faith in the greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, there's nothing wrong, we know from Scripture, as we see throughout the Old and the New Testament Scripture. And Paul mentions it later on in verse 17, that it is God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. It is God who brings abundance into our lives. It is God who blesses us. It is God who gives us prosperity and wealth and riches. And we know there's nothing wrong with it. God seeks and desires to put the wealth of the world in the hands of his 
people. So God does that and he's desiring to do that. The blessing of God is there. But what God wants to make sure is that we have the hard, right hard capacity to handle what he blesses us with. And this is what Paul says. If you desire to be rich or, verse 10, the love of money is the root of all evil. That means my hard attitude If God blesses me with abundance, with riches, with prosperity, as long as my heart is not on saying, God, this is all for me. That I don't be like the rich fool. Let me build bigger barns and keep this all for myself. But I see myself as a steward of every blessing God has put in my hands. If he's blessed me with abundance, thank God for it. He's put it for a reason. And Paul tells us later on what we're supposed to do with it. So if God's prospered you and brought great wealth and increased, thank God for it. Guard your heart. Keep your heart free from the desire for riches for your own self or from the love of money. Money, you see, is as an instrument, as a vehicle to take care of your needs, the needs of your family, and to do what God wants you to do. If you don't have that kind of heart attitude, then we are positioning ourselves we are in a position of danger. He says, you, we are in, play, in a place where we will fall into many temptations, snares, hurtful lusts. We can get drawn away in all kinds of things. And he says, it, it, there is the potential of even departing from the faith and piercing ourselves with many sorrows. Are you with me? You know, Thank God for prosperity. We talk about it. We believe God wants a prosperous people. We talk about it. We believe it. We, we do the practical side of doing financial workshops on how you can manage your money well. And we pray for the blessing of God and all of that. And we're not against it. But don't forget to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 also. Unfortunately, so much of prosperity teaching in, in, the, in the Christian church leaves these important chapters out. They don't come and talk about these things. But it's in the Bible. It's God's instructions to the New Testament church that you've got to guard yourself from the desire for riches. You've got to watch out from the love of money. In other words, be careful in this area. So in, verse, in, in, the con, in, in view of all this, verses 11 uh, through 16, Paul is telling Timothy, here's your life, O man of God. You've got to flee these things. Stay away as a man of God from the love of money, from using Godliness as a means for gain. Stay away from those things. Man of God, flee these things. Instead, you focus your life on pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, endurance. You must pursue these virtues. It is true not only for a man of God, but it's true for every believer. Are you with me? You stay away from falling into the love of money. You guard yourself. You pursue Godly virtues. And he mentions all this. And then he says, you've got to fight the good fight of faith. Verse 12. There's an enemy. It's not going to be easy. It's not just going to be, a, you know, a, a, an easy walk in the park. But he says, there's an enemy. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. You've got to make the choice to lay hold on eternal life. And you've got to hold on to your good confession, which you have professed in the presence of many witnesses. And then he reminds Timothy, he says, look at Jesus. Even when he was under pressure. When he was standing before Pontius Pilate, he didn't change his confession. He didn't quit on what he came to do. He went through that moment of intense pressure. He says, Timothy, that's our example. Follow Jesus. And the same Jesus is coming back again. He is the 
eternal king. He's a lord of lords, the king of kings. He's immortal and he is going to come back. So Timothy, live a godly life because you're going to meet the king. Amen. And then verses 17 through 19, he says, so in view of all this, what is the responsibilities of the rich? Verses 17 through 19. For those of us whom God has blessed us with money, with wealth, with prosperity in our lives, what are we supposed to do? Verse 17. He says, come on those who are rich, don't get proud. Firstly, don't get proud. Don't think that God is blessing you because you are so good. Don't think God is blessing you because you are so spiritual or you have great faith or you have this and that. Command those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to be haughty. Don't let pride get in. But instead, you're a steward of those riches. So what do you do? He says, you've got to give yourself. And don't put your trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in money. Your trust always remains in this eternal God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Don't trust in money. Trust in him. And he says, you put your trust in God because it is God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, what should you do? Do good, be rich in good works, be ready to give, be willing to share. In other words, do good, be generous, bless others with what God has blessed you with. Be a generous person. And I know, I, I, I mean, just, just from us as a church, we are a generous church and we need to keep it that way. Stay generous, bless people around you uh, who, who are in need. Do what you can to bless those in need. And as you do that, in your, as you're generous with people, as you're giving to people, what actually is happening? Verse 19, he says, you are storing up for yourselves a good foundation for time to come. When you are generous to others, there is something that's happening on your behalf in eternity. He refers to this again in Philippians chapter 4. So if you will want to go back there in Philippians chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. As he writes to Philipp, the Philippians, he says, Philippians, when you, Philippians 4, 15 to 19, he says, when you shared with me in the gospel, he said, what happened is this, verse 17, the fruit abounds to your account. Then he says in verse 18, what you sent was a sweet smelling aroma, something well pleasing to God. And then he says, verse 19, God supplies all your need. So when you are generous, what happens? First, there is fruit abounding to your account in heaven. Now, I don't know how and in what manner that's happening, but it's happening. I don't know if God has a passbook and says, credit. I don't know. But Paul is saying, when you are generous and you are giving to the ministry, you're giving to the work of God's kingdom, there is fruit that is abounding to your account. Or he says, as, in, as he says in 1 Timothy 6, you are storing up for yourselves a good foundation for time to come. Something is happening in eternity on your behalf every time you are generous here on earth. And secondly, he says, your giving is a sweet-smelling sacrifice to God. God is pleased with it. Our worship, we sing songs, that's great, but giving is also worship. When you give, it's a sweet-smelling aroma before God. God is pleased with it. And then he says, you know, as you release, God is your supply. My God supplies. So the, the reason you can give, the reason you can be generous is because you know that God is the source of your total supply. So you're not afraid to release. You're not afraid to bless others because your eyes are on the Lord. He is your source of total supply. 
Are you all with me so far? So thank God for what he has entrusted to you. The abundance he's blessed you with, the wealth he's blessed you with, you are a steward of it. And God says, let's be rich in good works. Let's be generous to bless people uh, who may not have as much as we do. And finally, verses 20 and 21, he closes off this chapter by saying, Timothy, I want you to guard what was committed to your trust. Now, you try to understand the, the weight of those words. Timothy has worked with Paul for about 18 years. He's been taught and trained by Paul for a long time. Paul has invested a lot in his life. And then he says, Timothy, I want you to guard what has been committed to your trust. And Bible college students, guard what has been committed to your trust. The wealth of revelation, the anointing, the gifting... The gift and the grace that has been imparted into your life these two years. Guard what has been committed to your trust. Guard it. Protect it. Keep it. Preserve it. Don't lose it. And to all of us, what God has committed to us spiritually, he says you've got to guard it. Protect it. Preserve it. And one of the things he says is don't get involved in things that people call foolishly as knowledge, but they only end up drawing people away from the faith. Let's, don't get into things that, which the world supposes as being great intellectual arguments and debates, but they have no fruit, no value. They only result in people being drawn away from the faith. Guard what is yours. The truth of the gospel, the word of God, the gift of the spirit, the anointing of God. Guard these things. Don't unnecessarily get involved in things that don't amount to anything. They only end up destroying your faith, weakening your faith, and robbing you of what has been committed to you. You know better than that. So guard what's committed to you. Amen? In Proverbs, there's a verse which says, Stay away from all instruction that causes you to err from what you've learned or from the ways of learning. Stay away from instruction that causes you to go astray. I mean, don't even waste time paying attention to it. Stay away from those things. Guard what has been committed to you, the word of God, the gospel. Today, as we close off this chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, the verse that we would like to really highlight as a key takeaway is verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great. Okay. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Just to be satisfied, to be happy. This doesn't mean you're not pursuing, uh, you know, greater achievements in your life or greater accomplishments for the kingdom of God or uh, growing professionally. I'm not saying that. But learning to be content in every state is so important. That's great wealth. The capacity to do that itself is great wealth. Amen? Can you please take a moment this morning just to pray? Or anything that may have spoken to your heart from this chapter that we read and did a quick overview of. It's something that we read this morning. Just minister to your heart. The Holy Spirit quickened something. It may be more possible that it's more than one thing. But would you take a moment, please, to pray about at least one thing that you heard this morning. And ask the Lord to give you the grace to apply it, to make it a part of your life. We'll give you a few moments just to pray and just talk to the Lord. Father, we just thank you for your word. And I pray that we will not just be hearers or readers of your word, but God, that we will be doers of your word. 
that we make ourselves available to the work and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to give us the grace and the strength we need to do what we've heard. Change our hearts, our attitudes, our behavior, that Christ will be seen in the workplace. Give us the grace, Lord, like the Apostle Paul, to learn to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. Give us the grace, Lord, to know how to use the wealth, the riches you put in our hands in a way that will bless lives, that our trust will always remain in you. Before we close, if there's anyone here this morning and you feel that perhaps you've strayed away from the faith, like we just read this morning, maybe you loved the Lord Jesus at one time, and as, as the scripture said, maybe the love of money, maybe the desire to be rich, maybe the affection for, the, for other things in this world have just caused you to wander away. But you're here this morning and it is no chance, it's no accident that we were reading this chapter. And you feel impressed in your heart that you want to get aligned back to Jesus. Come back to him. Or if there is somebody here who, who's never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and, and made a choice to be a disciple of Jesus, to follow him, to embrace him as Savior and Lord and follow him. But you feel in your heart this morning that you would want to do that. I just want to lead you in a simple prayer. This prayer will help you connect with the Lord. Just a little aid that you can reach out to Jesus this moment and make a decision to follow him. And if you'd like to pray with me, please just repeat this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive my sins. I ask you to come into my life and help me to follow you and you alone for the rest of my life. Forgive my wandering into sin. Bring me back to your purpose for my life. Help me to stay close to you, Jesus. Give me the strength to follow you. Take my life and make it yours, Jesus. I want to be a new person. Thank you for doing this. In Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for this time in your presence. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. Continue, Father, to do a great work. Do a great work in us, changing us into the image of your Son, Jesus, molding us, making us, oh God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We praise you. We honor you. Father, I just also want to pray, Father, right now for those who might be sick and suffering and hurting in their bodies. And I just ask for the release of your healing power into their lives, Father. Even right now, I take authority of every spirit of infirmity, every spirit of sickness and disease affecting bodies of God's people right here. And I command every sickness, every disease, every infirmity to go. And I command healing in God's people and their bodies. Lord, healing in the minds, the emotions, the mind, the will. Strengthen, God, our will, our resolve, our ability to say no to temptation. Release grace right now to strengthen those areas of our soul. That we will have the strength given to us from God to say no to things that weaken us and destroy our lives right now. And I also stand against every spirit 
every unclean spirit that is attached and that weakens our will. And I command you to go. Release your grip. Right now, in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do a powerful work in our lives. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each one of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy time with family. See you again. God bless. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also visit our website, apcwo.org, for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.